Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip about whether you should use the word alumni or the word alums, a meaty middle about words from bookmaking, and a tidbit about the phrase beyond the pale. And now, on to our quick and dirty tip. You'll remember that a couple of weeks ago I had a piece from Neil Whitman about homecoming being called hoko. And Neil was also kind enough to point out that although I wrote about the words alum and alumni in some of my Grammar Girl books, I've never covered them on the podcast or on the website, and this would be a good time of year to do so, because alumni go to homecoming. Or should that be alums go to homecoming? Well, first let's deal with the singular forms. As you may have guessed, these words to describe graduates come straight from Latin— A lone female graduate is called an alumna, so I'm an alumna of the University of Washington in Seattle and an alumna of Stanford University. A lone male graduate is called an alumnus. Alumnus means foster son, pupil, or to nourish in Latin. And the Latin term for a former school is alma mater, meaning nourishing mother. So an alumnus can be seen as the foster son or pupil of the nourishing mother, the school. Nice, huh? Now, let's get to the plurals. A group of male graduates are alumni, and a group of female graduates are formally called alumni. If, and this is where some people have a problem, the returning graduates in the homecoming stands are a mix of male and female graduates, it's generally agreed that the right thing is to call them alumni, even though that's also the word for a group of just male graduates. The Associated Press, for example, recommends using the word alumni for mixed groups. For example, you could write, More alumni than ever returned to campus this year for homecoming. Some people don't like that, though, or they just get confused about which word to use, so they use the clipped form instead and refer to mixed groups as alums, writing something like this. More alums than ever return to campus this year for homecoming. Alums is so popular that Garner's Modern English Usage calls it a fully accepted, slingy casualism. In other words, you may not like it, but it's here to stay. And you're more likely to see it in a Facebook post from your sorority than in the New York Times. And that's your quick and dirty tip. You call a group of male graduates alumni, but you also call a group of male and female graduates alumni. If you can't remember that or you have a problem with it, you can use the word alums for mixed groups, but some people will think it's an error or think that it's too casual. And now, words we get from bookmaking. 
October is an important month for book festivals. In Boston, Austin, Madison, Baton Rouge, and of course, Frankfurt, Germany, which hosts the world's oldest book festival. In honor of these book festivals, I want to delve a bit into the way that the language of books expanded the English vocabulary. The earliest books were not books per se, but inscriptions on stone or wood. The term stele, for an upright stone, wooden slab, or clay, is still a very specialized term. Soon, however, clay, wooden tablets, and papyrus scrolls made writing more portable. Fast forward today when tablets now refer to computers and we scroll on our computer screens, tablets, and phones. The meaning of both words has been extended to follow changes in reading today, scrolls and tablet. Clay tablets didn't need tables of contents, but papyrus scrolls left us the term syllabus, which comes to us from the Greek word syllabus, a label affixed to a scroll giving its contents. The Romans used the term titulus instead, from which we get title. The scrolls themselves were kept in a wooden jar. Stacking wasn't an option, and this jar was known in Greek as a bibliotech, from biblion for book, and tech meaning case, which has become the word for library in various languages, bibliotech. The prefix biblio, of course, also shows up in a variety of book-related terms, like bibliophile and bibliography. Bible is a bibliovariant that took on a specialized religious association, but has been used figuratively to mean any authoritative book since the early 1800s. Less durable has been the word tome, referring originally to the cut scrolls of papyrus. Tome has the same root as atom, or appendectomy, and is used today to mean a physically or intellectually weighty book. Papyrus gave way to parchment, and eventually to paper, which made its way from China to the Middle East to Europe. Early books were handwritten and hand-copied, giving us the term manuscript, which now simply refers to the original text of a work. In early manuscripts, uniform handwriting was at a premium, since a book might be produced by many scribes, and there was no modern punctuation. Instead, sentences were separated by making the first letter larger and sometimes coloring it red, a process known as rubrication. Later, religious works included directions in red, and rubric came to mean an established custom. In present-day universities, the word has evolved to indicate a scoring guide that lays out grading expectations. I made a rubric today. The Old English word bach, for book, has a Germanic origin, most likely from the word for the beech tree, the material of early wooden writing tablets. The word text, indicating the wording of something, makes an appearance in English in the late 14th century. From the French word text and related to the Latin word for something woven. Text was extended to encompass original or authoritative works, then to the idea of anything that can be read as a text, and in more recent times has been converted to a verb as a shortening of to send a text message. The insights of Johannes Gutenberg and 15 other artisans revolutionized book production with uniform, movable type, adapting the technologies of olive oil and winemaking, the press, as well as coin and jewelry making, the fabrication of letters. 
The letters or characters used in printing were soon referred to as type, from the Greek word for impression or mark. Like all novel technologies, printing with movable type was quickly and continuously refined through the Renaissance and into the Industrial Revolution. In the 18th and 19th centuries, further technological innovations improved the efficiency of printing, moving from wooden presses to iron ones, and from continually reset type to the process of stereotyping, where a mold was made of a page of set type. The mold could be stored and reused for future printings. A stereotype came to mean something repeated without change, and later a preconceived oversimplification. By the mid-19th century, printmakers had developed a method of making uniform type automatically, a process known as typecasting, tripling the speed with which type could be made, and setting the stage for automatic typesetting. It wasn't long before the meaning of typecast was extended to refer to the casting of actors in certain roles. And by the late 1800s, we had the noun typewriter and the back-formed verb typewrite, later shortened to just type, bringing us full circle. So as you browse the publisher's offering at your local book fair, wherever that might be, take a moment to appreciate not just the words on the page, but the words that printing and publishing have contributed to the English language. That segment was written by Edwin L. Battistella, who teaches linguistics and writing at Southern Oregon University in Ashland, where he's served as a dean and as interim provost. He's the author of the book, Sorry About That, The Language of Public Apology. A version of this segment originally appeared on the Oxford University Press blog. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today.
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Next, if you've been following the American election, you know that we have many reasons lately to use the phrase beyond the pale. So today on Grammar Girl, we're doing something new. We're giving you a quiz. And it's about the phrase beyond the pale. And that's pale, P-A-L-E. You may know that beyond the pale describes something outside the limits of acceptable behavior. For example, wearing a see-through dress to a wedding might be beyond the pale, or tossing your used coffee cup on the sidewalk. Both behaviors are outside the bounds of morality and plain old good judgment. So here's the quiz. Do you think beyond the pale has to do with color? Perhaps it alludes to increasingly pale shades of morality, or mysterious activities that occur after the setting of a pale moon. Or, do you think it has to do with sticks? Believe it or not, the second option is correct. Beyond the pale has to do with sticks. You see, the word pale is derived from the Middle French word pal and the Latin word palus, and both refer to a wooden stake. It's where the pale part of impale comes from. When you impale that vampire, you're doing it with a wooden stake. And wooden stakes also give us the phrase beyond the pale, because in that case, a pale refers to a space enclosed by stakes. There was an English pale in Ireland, for example. When Henry II of England sailed into Ireland in 1171, his armies established a pale, a district ruled by English law and English barons. In the great districts beyond the pale, an Irish historian describes, the native Celtic languages of the county were continued to be spoken. The old customs, or Behon laws, were followed, while the chiefs or petty kings succeeded according to their ancient regulations of descent. From the British perspective, therefore, within the pale lay civilization. Beyond lay savagery. Other historical pales include the Pale Settlement of Russia, set up by Catherine the Great, which required Jews in Russia and parts of Poland to live within certain boundaries, and the Pale of Calais, which is what the French region around the city of Calais was called when it was under English control. The Oxford English Dictionary actually says that evidence doesn't tie the phrase beyond the pale to any of these real-life pales, that attempts to do so are later rationalizations. But the phrase does get its meaning from the ideas related to the British pale in Ireland. Inside the pale is safe. Beyond the pale is where you've passed the boundaries of civility. So that's your tidbit for today. Beyond the pale means improper or outside the bounds of acceptable behavior. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. 
A lot of you seem to like the piece Samantha did last week about the phrase straight from the horse's mouth, and you were eager to share your own knowledge of horse-based idioms. Scott noted that long in the tooth also originates from horse teeth. It's the same idea. You can look at the teeth and see that a horse is old. And John shared that the same reasoning holds true for the phrase, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. When someone gives you a gift, a horse, in this case, it's impolite to look in the mouth to see how old it is before deciding if you really want it. Horses were a big part of life in years past, so it's not surprising we'd have a lot of idioms related to horses. And I bet you can think of a bunch of newer car-related idioms, too. It's been a while since I thanked people who wrote reviews at iTunes, and I really do appreciate them. So thank you to Leo from Argentina, TBNY, Spicy, who says, Grammar Girl is the reason I'm hooked on podcasts. Jim from Japan, who says he's been listening since 2010, and whose review I saw using my neat My Podcast Reviews tool that makes it a lot easier to see reviews from outside the U.S. iTunes store. So that one was from Japan. And finally, thank you to Elliot from the Entwined podcast, who made me laugh because he said he likes the show because he was able to prove he was right and his wife was wrong. So hey, Elliot, always glad to help. Thanks again for writing those reviews, and thank you also to the people who posted where you listen this week. I've enjoyed all the beautiful pictures and stories. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook as Grammar Girl and on Instagram as The Grammar Girl. And one last quick note. Are you signed up for my email newsletter? We send it out every week with links to the new articles and important announcements. And we're going to have an announcement soon about my updated AP Style webinar. So sign up for the newsletter at quickanddirtytips.com. Click on the newsletter button at the very bottom of the homepage. Sign up, and then you'll get all the new links every week and new announcements. That's all. Thanks for listening. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.